Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura. As you probably know by now, the uh, Mets and Nationals, the third and final game of this uh, three-game set was rained out tonight, so we didn't get a chance to see Jacob deGrom dominate again, but uh, perhaps tomorrow night on that. But anyway, we're not going to talk about the Major League team tonight. We're going to talk about the uh, minors, and whenever we're talking about the minors, we bring in Mets 360 top prospect uh, guru, David Groveman. David, thanks for joining us tonight. Not a problem, Brian. Glad to be here. All right, well, let's get right to it. Uh, the number one question among Mets fans is, when is Ahmed Rosario going to get promoted? So let me ask you, when will he get promoted? Uh, I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that the, the Mets are still attached to this idea of getting value out of their veterans. So they're not going to promote Rosario until they trade as Drupal Cabrera because they're convinced that they, they can't bring him up until they they get the value from those players in a trade, I don't think anymore it's a it's a question of um, keeping Cabrera to uh, save the season. I think it's just a question of when Cabrera goes, Rosario will come up. They will uh, shift Reyes away from uh, playing short, and uh, we'll get to get to see our top prospect. Well, I think I speak for most Mets fans when I talk about how frustrating it is uh, dealing with the uh, process that the Mets seem to be following here, especially with all of the injuries we have, and and Neil Walker is still likely to be out for an extended period of time. Um, Do you agree with the process that the Mets are are doing, and and why don't they take advantage of uh, Walker being on the DL to to play Rosario all full time? I mean, I, I, I don't agree with the, the strategy. I think that the Mets went with the, um, the conservative approach that they've, that they've built these prospects up with in the past, where the idea was that we're not playing for this year, we're playing for the future, so we're not going to gain anything by bringing them up early. I think this year you started to have some injuries and you really had an opportunity where a prospect could have come up and added something because they were they were better than who we were actually putting out on the field for an extended. You know, there were there was a case where we could have brought up not only Rosario but we could have brought up Dominic Smith, and we didn't do that. And instead, we we brought up an assortment of players who filled in, and we uh, fell farther and farther away from uh, first. Now you mentioned Dominic Smith, so let's go ahead and, and talk about him right now. Um, uh, it feels to me that the fans are are mostly excited and ready for Rosario to be on the major league team. Yet I get the opinion that they're a little more mixed on Smith. What do you make of Dominic Smith? Uh, uh, so the reason that fans aren't as high on Dominic Smith is because he doesn't put up gaudy power numbers, and you're used to seeing those those 30 home run numbers from a first baseman, and he's not that. But what he is is a player like John Olerud, 
Uh, he's a guy who's just going to hit the ball. I mean, he's he's had one of the, the most consistent seasons, and yes, it's for, for AAA and the PCL, which um, the stats are a little misleading, but he is a good contact hitter. He should hit around 300, and he shouldn't go through these slumps that you see with Lucas Duda, where, you know, for a week or two, he's he's the best hitter in baseball, and then for three weeks or four, he's the worst hitter in baseball. Now, you mentioned that he's not a power hitter, and I don't think that anyone expects him to come up and hit 30 home runs right away. But I think there's a big gulf between hitting 30 home runs and, say, hitting five. Now, can you imagine Dominic Smith coming in and being a useful player for the Mets if he has the power of a backup shortstop? I don't think he has the power of a backup shortstop. I think that he has power. It's just a matter of you're looking at a guy who's going to have a lot of doubles and about 10 home runs. All right, well, let's uh, shift gears here, and instead of talking about uh, guys who are on the verge of being promoted to the majors, let's talk about a couple of guys who are, are a little further away, but I feel who are perhaps the best story of the season so far in the minors, and that's a couple of A-ball pitchers in Mirandy Gonzalez and Jordan Humphreys. Um, they started out the year in, in Columbia in low A, and then after the uh, the Sally All-Star game, they got promoted to high A in the Florida State League. And I want to know, do you think it's okay to group them together like I just did, or do you think one of them is clearly better than the other? Well, um, I mean, it, it's fair to, to group them together. They started the year at the same level. Um, they're both around the same age. It, it, it's not absurd to, to group them together, but they are different types of prospects. Uh, you look at Humphreys, he's a, he's a prospect we just picked up last year. Um, he, he has a fairly high ceiling, um, although his, his scouting stats when we, we first got him didn't, didn't jump off the page. It seems like he's made some steps, in, at least in uh, giving some deception to hitters. With Mirandy Gonzalez, he's been in the Mets system for a while. We already saw him coming as sort of this consistent pitcher, and really it's, uh, it's a case of absolute consistency with Gonzalez, who, who got promoted to advanced day and is still pitching lights out. Now, we saw Gonzalez uh, quite a bit last year in Brooklyn, and Let's be honest, uh, we usually see good pitching performances in Brooklyn. It's much more pitcher-friendly than it is hitter-friendly. But one of the things that, that jumped out to me with Gonzalez is that he had more of a fastball than the typical guy who goes to Brooklyn and puts up great stats. Um, yet when we had Teddy Klein on um, the podcast about a month or so ago, he said he had a, a velocity reading on Jordan Humphreys of 94, so, um, you know, to me it was always, well, Gonzalez has got a little higher up, upside because he throws harder. But if Humphreys can really reach 94, that might change the equation a little bit. And I'm just curious what you've heard about the velocity readings for the, the two pitchers. So if, if you go and you, you do the research on Humphreys, the, the research is still old research, what you'll find online. Um, and what I have heard is that his velocity did take a big tick upwards. Um, and that it is, you know, 93-94. But what I've also heard is that he is hiding the baseball better this year and that he has more movement on his pitches. 
So I think that that, that combination of things makes him much more intriguing uh, in terms of, of a ceiling. But this, this is, you know, a prospect making an obvious leap in in where he was uh, when we first got him to where he is today. Mirandi Gonzalez um, has has pretty much shown us this this solid pitcher throughout his his minor league career, and uh, in the end, I like the consistency that I've seen, and I haven't seen him uh, really get beat up on any of the levels that he's pitched in and advanced day is is one of the first real tests for pitchers in the Met system so it's really a positive sign to see that that he's taking that step in stride as long as we're talking about pitching let's uh, talk about how the the Mets added to their system here in the 2017 draft their number one pick uh, at number 20 overall was uh, left-handed pitcher David Peterson and he had a just a fantastic junior year and I'm I'm I was a little surprised he was still available what's what's your take were you surprised that somebody who came from a major conference like Peterson did that he was still available when the Mets uh, picked the 20 I think I think when you look at what Peterson did be, before his junior year, he really didn't have those those gaudy stats prior to junior year. I think that the Mets got good value at the 20th pick. When I looked at the people who might be available, I saw Peterson as someone who had a, a reasonably high ceiling, but not a lot of, uh, as they say, warts. There wasn't a lot of obvious... Uh, problems. You can hear that he was uh, mechanically unsound, had a strange delivery, anything like that. So I looked at Peterson and I said, this is a pitcher with high high uh, front of the rotation stuff who doesn't appear like he's going to be that big of a risk if we take him. And that's the reason that, that he was, you know, on the top of my board for, for who the Mets might have at 20th. So I think it's fair to say from from your answer just there that that you're fairly high on him. So why do you think he fell to where the Mets were? I think that in mocks that I saw, he was going 15, 16, somewhere in that range. And that's not a huge drop, but it's a drop nonetheless. Why do you think he was still there? Well, there's a, a number of reasons that happens with each draft, and it comes down to what the different minor league approaches are and where teams are within their developmental cycle. So David Peterson is going to be ready for the majors sooner than some of the other prospects that were drafted before him. However, he may not have the same, you know, he doesn't have the the, the feeling where you're looking at an ace pitcher. You're not looking at a Noah Syndergaard here. He might prove to be that and, and defy scouting, but right now he's looking like a number two pitcher in you know your typical rotation where he's he's a very good high quality pitcher he's going to get you strikeouts he's going to pitch you deep into games but he's not going to be the ace of a staff the same way that that you have with some of the other met pitchers all right well we mentioned that peterson was the the met's top draft pick this year um any other 2017 draft picks stick out to you their their second pick was a supremely good value pick. Um, they got one of the highest ceiling players in the draft. Uh, young player, he's a, a shortstop now. I believe he's he's probably going to end up switching to third base, is what the uh, the scouts predict based upon his his overall size. Um, 
I, I believe because I'm not looking at notes right now, but it's uh, Vientos. Am I? Yes, am Mark I, Vientos. Yes, um, he's he's a hitting third baseman uh, prospect, and uh, really could be one of the the best hitting prospects in the Met organization. I'm I'm still waiting to to start seeing his name on the stat lines because I did see that he signed. Yeah, I believe he's in the uh, the Gulf Coast League. Uh, I think I've seen him play games at both third base and shortstop uh, for the Mets system, but that seems to be something that the Mets are doing a lot uh, throughout their minor league system. Even even their top prospect, Ahmed Rosario, has played third base in addition to shortstop, so it really seems they're trying to give players exposure to other positions just so if they get to the majors and they need them in a, at a different place, you know, they won't be completely starting from ground zero. Yes. And I think that no, you uh, Vientos... Uh, go ahead. Vientos uh, was drafted as a shortstop, so he, he does have that shortstop ability. So um, as long as his body will allow him to play shortstop, that's where his best value would be because in a perfect world, you have a shortstop that can, can hit like a third baseman, and that's... And one other name that I'd like to throw out there and a uh, kid that the, the Mets drafted very late, I believe it was the 30, 30th something, 34th round, and that's uh, Jake Eater, and he's one of those guys who pretty much told everybody that he was going to go to college. The Mets took a flyer on him. I'm sure they'll try to to come to an agreement with him. Uh, odds are probably against it, but if they do manage to sign him, that would be uh, quite a feather in the cap because he's probably closer to a, a third or a fourth round pick than somebody that you would typically, typically uh, get on the, the 30th round. So just a name to file away. Um, I think that uh, the, the one other uh, person that I've seen uh, prominently in the box scores is uh, Quinn Brody, who they took on the third round. Um, collegiate player, West Coast, but the the, the school is escaping me now. Uh, but he's an outfielder. Um, do you have any any knowledge on him? Um, when I when I looked into the scouting on him, um, I was I was a little bit uh, surprised with where he was taken. Um, not that he was a a bad prospect, um, just that he seemed to have you know, one of those those mediocre ceilings where he looked on paper like he would eventually progress into a fourth outfielder more than a starting player. And um, there were a couple of picks after the second round that seemed like the Mets were actually picking a little safe to try and save money. So as you said, you have this, this, this player we took a flyer on. Perhaps they were trying to save a whole bunch of money here and there where they could uh, go over slot for a player like that. He's David, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking Mets prospects tonight, and uh, let's talk about the uh, AA rotation. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm fairly bullish on the majority of the pitchers who are currently residing in Binghamton, and that's uh, P.J. Conlon and Chris Flexen and Marcus Molina and, and uh, uh, Corey Oswalt. And I want to know, do any of these stand out uh, more to you than the others? Um, well, if you if you talk to uh, Mets brass, they're going to tell you that Marcos Molina is is the man out of this uh, this quartet that you've mentioned. 
And I think that Marcos Molina is a very good pitcher, and I've seen uh, good things from him because I've actually gotten to see him play on TV a couple times thanks to spring training. But um, Chris Flexen, to me, has had the year that stands out because uh, he he's come back from uh, injury, and he's really shown uh, in a very quick time uh, stepping up to a new level and and pitching phenomenally there. I know that, that Oswalt has given us some consistency and that Conlon has as well. Um, but I think that in terms of, of who I have faith in, I have uh, Flexen at the top of that quartet, but I'm, I'm bullish on the, on all four of them as well. I think we're going to have a very, very nice rotation at a triple A next year. It'll be a, a nice uh, change of pace from what we had uh, this year where there was virtually nobody in the, the rotation at Las Vegas who were excited about potentially calling up and being one of our depth starters. But uh, circling back to Flexen, he was a, a guy, uh, one of the first guys, I believe, that uh, under the new under the new rules for the draft where you uh, everyone drafted after the 10th round got a $100,000 slot salary, and he was one of the first ones that they gave a big bonus to. Um, and he's been hurt, as you mentioned, uh, but has been really, really solid when healthy. The issue, of course, is he just hasn't been able to, to throw 25 starts in a season. And one thing that I speculated about in the off season in regards to Flexen was I was wondering that if a, a move to the bullpen might be in his future just in a in a way that maybe the – he can't handle the the workload of a starter. Do you have any thoughts on on that idea? I think that's that's a possible possibility for pretty much every single starter in in a system who isn't a quote unquote top prospect. I think you start looking at at your second best starters in the minors, and you start thinking about as they get to the upper levels, is this a guy who is going to be better off in the bullpen? The one thing that I will say about Flexen is that he hasn't shown um, a need to come out of starts early. You know, he's had a very short season, and I think he's already pitched uh, seven innings at least once or twice. And when you when you see a starting pitcher who's able to go deep into games like that, it's really hard to then, you know, put it in the same sentence where we're considering putting him into a bullpen because – He's giving you that depth that you look for out of the starter. Switch over to the offensive side of things. And one thing that uh, we're needing right now with uh, the undoubtful or the the very unlikely situation that David Wright is ever a a major contributor to the Mets on the field ever again is the organization needs a third baseman. And perhaps one of their top third base prospects coming into this year was David Thompson. And unfortunately, much like we saw at the major league level with Curtis Granderson, Thompson got off to just a a dismal start to the season, but he's been performing quite well for about two and a half months now. Do you think that he's the answer at third base in, in the near future for the Mets? I don't, I don't want to assign a title of answer or even, even to say that he's uh, starting uh, major league third baseman uh, quality just yet. He has the potential to be that, um, which is, is more than you can say about a number of prospects who are up at the AA level. Uh, Thompson does have hitting ability. He has power. 
Um, his defense, which at first was uh, questioned whether he was going to be able to stay at third base, hasn't been the issue. It's just a matter of consistency and consistency with power because he completely vanished for the first part of the year. He was very much like Curtis Granderson and, and didn't do that much. And then you had down in advance day, Johan Urena starting to finally start hitting the ball again, which he hadn't really done in a, a number of, of seasons. And I was starting to wonder if Urena was going to force Thompson to, to shift uh, position as the Mets would be forced to, you know, move players up and down in the minors to, uh, to accommodate a, uh, a rising star and a guy who was struggling. But as as, yeah, as it's a re- you mentioned, uh, Thompson Thompson has come on a, of late and really turned things around. So it it once again looks like he is going to be moving up to AAA. But I would want him to put up uh, real gaudy numbers in the PCL for a power hitter. The PCL you need to you need to show that you can take advantage of what that league gives you. It's a real interesting question at third base because uh, you mentioned the guy who's currently there at, at high A, and that's Johan Urania. Um, and this is his third season uh, at St. Lucie. And usually that's a, a giant red flag. And he's probably hit, a well, hit well enough to be promoted. But with Thompson playing and playing well here recently, but not necessarily great overall, the Mets are kind of in a in a tough situation because they're really not being forced to promote uh, Thompson, which kind of leaves a, a block a blockade uh, for Urania. Um, you mentioned uh, a potential position switch for uh, one of them, but then you have Matt Oberste who didn't get the call to AAA this year, and he's playing first base and and performing well, and he doesn't. He certainly hasn't deserved to lose his job. So it's kind of a tough situation all the way around. You'd like one of those guys to either really excel or, or fall off a bit, and that just hasn't happened. Um, where do the Mets go with Urania, do you think, from here? Um, what I actually see happening is I think the Mets, uh, Mets may move Oberste up to AAA um, in the nearer future. Um, he does play multiple positions, and I think that his bat is is ready to to be tested at that level, especially after his successful year in Double A last year. Um, I think it's really hard for the Mets to consider moving Thompson up beyond Double uh, A until he shows a little bit more consistency. If he gets his his batting average and slugging percentage up for for the overall year to a more respectable level. I think then they can bring him up to AAA without uh, without blinking. What they may try to do is they may try to start showing Urena at multiple positions. Um, a nice thing about Urena is that he is a switch hitter, um, and I've seen I've seen him play back when he was in Brooklyn, and he did have pretty good uh, reaction time. He might be a good answer at first base uh, in a temporary sort of scenario, while Thompson is. Uh, finishing up his, his double-A time, uh, and Oberste goes up to triple-A. Talk about a guy who, who already has received a mid-year promotion, and that's Michael Paez. Uh, he went from, um, from low-A up to uh, St. Lucie high-A in the Florida State League. And Paez is a guy that we don't really talk very much about, but 
you know, I kind of wonder why that is. I mean, he was a, a high pick. He was a fourth-round pick last year from the team that won the uh, NCAA championship. And he's had a very strong year this year, and he seems to fly under the radar a bit. Uh, I want to ask, uh, what does he have to do to catch some buzz? Um, in terms of, of buzz, I think it's 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 an unfair situation. The Mets the Mets started Paez down in um, down in Columbia, and I think they could have uh, conceivably started him up at Port St. Lucie. Um, with him down in Columbia, his success is taken with the caveat of his age being higher than most of the players at that level. Um, so every time that you look at those stats, you go yes, but. And on top of that, when I would be uh, going through my my weekly uh, prospect report, um, when I when I would start to to take a shine to him, that's when he would uh, choose to have a, a colder week. So it was just a, a case, at least personally, where things didn't align between uh, my my overall perception of his uh, success and the league he was in, and you know the given week where we were in. Now that he's in Port St. Lucie, I think that you're seeing him in a much more uh, accurate comparison to his, his value. You're seeing him with players who are closer to, to his age, and you're, you're able to get an accurate read on if he is going to succeed. So if his numbers continue to show well at this level, I think he will come up in these, uh, in these prospect rankings as well as these weekly reports. I share your disappointment with Paez opening the, the season in low A. You'd like the, a high-ranked uh, college guy to at least be in high A. The Mets really don't uh, send anybody to double A anymore who's a, who's a high pick. I mean, when they didn't start Conforto in double A a couple of years ago, that pretty much shut that door. But No, Brian, you cut out on me. Can't hear you. David Groveman, um, Sports Talk Radio. I think I may have lost Brian Jora. Um, we were talking about uh, Michael Piaz, who the Mets had at. Uh, Columbia in low A advanced him to high A um, earlier this year. And uh, just talking about how where the Mets start someone really does play a role in how the world will perceive them. Um, You have a player who is older than most of his competition at his level and really kind of starts hurting his overall value as a prospect. Hey, David, uh, thanks for... uh filling in. I'm not sure what happened. I'd like to apologize to everybody, but we were talking about Michael Paez, and I was trying to make the point that, you know, we'd like to see him start the year at a higher level than he did, but, you know, he did not have a particularly good year in Brooklyn last year, and and while it was frustrating and disappointing, I I think the Mets were justified in starting him in low A like they did. I think they they were justified. It's just a matter of um, the perception that you, you give on a player who is 
advanced above the age of most of the people he's competing against, especially when there wasn't a, a genuine prospect at high A at his position that you would consider uh, in direct competition. I think that it was it was not a sign that uh, was was taken as a, a real positive. Um, it, it gave me concern as someone who is is reviewing these players that the Mets didn't see something, so I need to be careful if I'm going to start seeing uh, seeing gold or a diamond in the rough. All right, well, we've got just about a minute left, and I'm going to hope that we can bang out our crazy prediction segment. I'm going to give you mine. I'm going to ask you to comment on my crazy prediction and then have you give me one of your own. And mine is that uh, Mickey Janis, he of the 4.18 ERA in his repeat season at AA, will make a half a dozen starts for the 2018 Mets. How crazy is that? It's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. I think that you have you have the potential. He's at Double A. He could be in Triple A next year. He should be actually. Uh, and then the Mets have propensity to get injured. And as long as Ray Ramirez is the uh, the health guy for the Mets, that should still continue. So it's possible, but it's more likely that Mickey Janis comes up as a relief pitcher. Um, All right. Give if me I have your crazy give- prediction. I have to give a crazy prediction. A real crazy one would be that Wilmer uh, Becerra is going to cut down his strikeouts to one every other game. But um, I'm going to say that uh, Peter Alonso, who has been real disappointing in high A, is going to be the breakout player for the Mets in 2018. Um, he's going to uh, really rocket up the charts uh, in double A, start hitting the ball uh, quite well. Well, there you go. There are our crazy predictions. Well, we are all out of time. Uh, I'd like to thank David for uh, joining us tonight and talking about prospects, and we'll see everybody else here next uh, Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Let's go Mets. Good night, everyone. Goodbye.